0: This is the Nomad Futurist podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com.
1: Let's get this started. Karen, I'm so happy that we're getting to talk and talk really kind of more in depth about the Nomad Futurist Academy, which we are hoping to have a hard launch in March of 2024, which is like right around the corner coming up. But one of the really cool things about the Academy is the people behind it and kind of the ins and outs and what we've been trying to do to get it created and get it started. In this industry, it's always very interesting to hear about people's journeys into the industry, how they got started. Can you share a little bit about your journey into the industry? Sure. Yeah. Mine's just as untraditional as most. My degrees are in
0: political science and philosophy. So one would not necessarily think I'd end up in the data center market. But I was teaching at Virginia Tech and then Virginia Community College down there at Blacksburg. And when I moved back up here, I was looking for a similar role as an adjunct professor, but there wasn't anything available. And so I didn't want to sit around too long. So I went to a placement company, Robert's International It's like admin placement. And they put me mm-hmm. in a two week stint with a concrete subcontractor actually. And I did my job for two weeks and then they were like, hey, we want to hire you. So they created a position and hired me. And I was like, okay, I didn't, didn't have anything else to do. So I was like, all right, that's good. So I learned from the subcontracting side of things the estimation, the specifications and what was important. And then, of course, new leads and how do we get business? And so I ended up kind of doing part-time of pre-construction and then part-time into business development. And through my efforts in business development, I met a bunch of GCs and one of the people I met Jackie Ryan as Scott Long, she talked to me and let me know that if I wanted to do more, there's other opportunities. And so she got me in touch with somebody at DPR Construction and they were looking for people. So I went over there and interviewed and I wanted to be a project engineer, but because my background didn't support that job, they hired me as a field office coordinator, which is somebody who does contracts and insurance. So I did that, but luckily I had a really great project manager named Lester Liu who would still give me more work. And so I was able to get promoted to be a project engineer within a couple of years And then when the tenant fit-out work kind of dried up and the mission critical started to really go, They needed help over on the mission critical side. And so I was like, sure, I'll try it. And then it was the first time where I really learned about mechanical, electrical systems and how complicated things were when it comes to controls and controlling how everything worked together and the wiring and breakers and all this. Anyway, I just fell in love with the complexity and how fun it was, how everything kind of worked together and had to work together seamlessly in order to make sure that the environment, the mission critical environment, was able to operate 24 7 without fail, especially within the SLA criteria that is determined on the outset by the design. So I was really enjoying my time learning about the mechanical and electrical systems. And so I was primarily aiming to be an MEP coordinator. And so I was working as an MEP coordinator for digital sites. And in order to become an MEP coordinator, I had to learn more about commissioning, I was told. So I was like, okay, that's no problem. I'll get more commissioning under my belt. So I was really focused on the commissioning aspect of the MEP stuff. While I was at digital, there was a company that started by Stephanie Creighton. And called Iconic came out of EYP and they were looking for commissioning agents and project managers. And so I was working as the MEP coordinator and they offered me a position with them. And I thought, oh, well, this is great. Now I can learn a little bit more about commissioning and how the system really works, right? Because you get to break stuff in order to really understand how it all works. I'm like, this is fine, right? So I was like, this is cool. So I went and worked with them. And then when I actually made that change, the gentleman, Daniel Brees, that I was working with at Digital, I was doing some additional work, I guess I didn't realize that was helping him out. And so when I moved to Iconics, he reached out to Iconics and asked them if I could work with him half the time. So I actually was a consultant for him for two years while I was at Iconics. And then when they were able to create a position for me at Digital, I came over to Digital as a design manager and really never looked back since. Anyway,
1: that was my from before. It was a pretty long explanation, but yeah, it was really strange. Well, it's a very special journey that you took into this industry. And what's really cool about it is a lot of people kind of, not specifically your journey, but just kind of found themselves in it. And then one thing led to another of like, oh, wow, this is actually really interesting. Let me learn more about it. And I think one of those things that it's always interesting is that light bulb moment of when you realize, oh, digital infrastructure, it kind of powers our whole world and we just take it for granted. The fact that like you're in DC right now, I am in Taipei and we're having a Zoom so seamlessly where there's almost zero lag is because of a data center somewhere. So can you share what your light bulb moment was and of where you realized like, oh, wow, this is really good and really important.
0: It was during commissioning of the first data center that I was on. And I was working with Rob DeFazio actually of CFG. He started a different company, but he was instrumental in opening my eyes to how everything worked because he'd pull out the control diagrams and show me how make a break works and how we can turn things on and off by the controls. It was, we had a little bit of an issue with one of the switchgear lineup and how they were supposed to work. So he had to redo the whole sequence. And so we were working through that together and I just found it so cool. And <laughs> my inner nerd just like went crazy. And and I was like, I just love it. Everything works together, so it's like just an incredible the complexity. So, anyway, it's just fun. And I was like, this is cool. I could do this. So, yeah,
1: you're right. It it is very cool once you get past that unknown. I didn't even know what a data center was when I started. My first day was at a 7 by 24 conference, actually a national conference, and it was a keynote speaker, very important person. What he was talking about was so interesting. But to me, given that I didn't know what the data center was, I, I'll be very honest, I dozed off because I was like, I don't know what I'm learning. I don't know what we're talking about. And I just threw great connections and great people. I kind of got that firsthand experience of this is what you need to learn. This is what you need to do. And that's, I think. Part of what our industry is like is everyone's very willing to help. So because of that, I have a very, very deep appreciation of learning about the industry. And so when we started the Nomad Futurist Academy and started talking about wanting to create this academy, where really it's going to be a repository of all things, anything related to data centers, where if you want to learn about it, you want to understand other things that are connected to the industry, It's going to be where you go. Well, that's our goal, right, at the foundation is go to the Nomad Futures Academy and learn more, get more experience, and then hopefully we can help further your career. And so, when I first met you, you came on as an ambassador, and I just was so drawn by your energy. And like, even now, just talking to you, you feel that energy shine through the screen of like, you are so passionate about the industry and just the education of it itself. And you had beft uh, along with Mark Usakov, Emma Grace Myers, and Sarah Altair. You guys got together on your own and said, Hey, let's hit the ground running. Like, how do we really push this and get it started? And you created the committee. Can you share a little bit how? You guys got together and decided that this was the right path to go, which I'm so grateful that we have your support and we have ambassadors like you guys to help push things forward. Yeah, I thank you for that,
0: Judy. We were working on the academy for a while. And I feel like we were at a point where we are kind of struggling on how to execute. And so a couple of us who are pretty vocal within the academy got together to say, what can we do to make this a reality? Because we are invested, right? Like we're putting our names out there. We're promoting something. So we want to make sure that what we're promoting is legit and valid. And so we got together to say, well, what can we do to make sure that this is going to be something that we can stand behind? And we thought about just big picture, how can we get to the end result, right, which is get a module into the course, like what are the steps that we need to do in order to do that? And so we came up with a program on what we thought made sense. And we're trying to streamline some of the activities for the folks who are trying to put the content together, because one of the biggest hurdles to anything is the amount of work that has to go in in order to make it reality, right? So we were trying to figure out, well, how can we make it the easiest way possible for somebody just to provide information so that we can get a course going. And so that lended itself to creating a template with just three points because you know how some people talk and you're like, okay, I don't really know what you actually were trying to convey, right? So if you know the three points that you really want to, your your message, right? And so we created a template that kind of forced you to put in the three main points and you could talk around to them. We knew that at the end, if we wanted to put a quiz together, which is what we ended up doing we'd have something that we knew would lend itself to that plus we would hopefully focus the content on the main topics right so that was like kind of okay that's one step right so we're going to get the people to be able to do it easily right and then then we're like okay well we're going to get a bunch of still different stuff so how do we make sure that the quality of what's coming out is accurate so then from there we were like okay well we need to kind of check and make sure that the content is good and so that came out and we created a content committee And the content committee is going to review the information coming in, making sure that it's relevant for the topic at hand and then the audience that we're trying to target. So when we thought about the audience, because there's a lot of different people that are going to be entering and using the materials. So we knew that we don't want anything out there that's going to be too high level. They won't be able to understand or too small and get them bored. Right. So we thought, okay, let's create an audience committee. That is comprised of different people to understand what the target audience is so we can kind of say, well, this course module is going to talk about this and it's at this level. And so once we had that kind of established, then it was, okay. this is good because whatever we get information in, if it's at a certain level or not, we can either add more information to it to get it deeper. And so it's more of a deeper level right? versus Mm -hmm. taking it out and be more of a higher level. And so we knew with the right people in the committee, we could just do it ourselves. And so that's where the content committee really came from, was trying to make sure that we had that flexibility and ability to make sure that the content was good. And then through all that, we were like, well, we really need also to understand and show what modules we want, right? And so from there, we realized we needed sort of a governance committee to oversee the whole thing to make sure that the topics are relevant. We're getting the right ones first. And so the government's committee came in. And so they're the ones kind of spearheading the whole thing and making sure that we're following the right phasing plan so that the information that's coming makes sense. And so then we have a creative committee, which is the one who takes all of the information So it goes governance, decides who's going to, which topic, who's going to do it. We get the content committee. I'm chair of the content committee. We get the information from the template. We decide whether or not it needs work, doesn't work, it's good, it's justifiable, kind of QAQC really. And then we check the audience, make sure it's at the right audience level. And then it goes to the creative committee once everything's passed. And the creative committee is the one that's going to make sure the graphics are good and make sure everything looks good. And then they're going to work with the individual person to actually record and so we knew that unless we had a system set up and a program established, it w- it might have worked, but we didn't think it was going to be as robust or as the quality wouldn't have been it, maybe perhaps as where we wanted to put our names behind it. So anyway, that's kind of where they all came from. And my computer is doing some funny things right now.
1: So <laughs> oh, technology. <laughs> I really loved what you said because you're absolutely right in creating these committees, not only... Are you creating checks and balances, but it helps us streamline that process of all that tribal knowledge that is so valuable in our industry that is just going to be lost if there isn't a way to gather all of that knowledge and information and put it somewhere. Which hopefully it is the Nomad Futures Academy once everything launches and we get it going. But me personally, my hope is that it is going to be something that's accessible and someone just goes, "Oh, I'm going to go to Nomad Futures Academy," whether I'm in grade school or high school to someone maybe in transition that just needs to learn about it. I always say, I think it'll be a job all done as for us as an industry, if eventually one day a fourth grader will say, hey, I want to build data centers when I grow up as opposed to I want to be an influencer, I want to be a scientist, policeman, nurse, doctor, all amazing careers. But just right now they don't know what they don't know. And for them to be able to access this hopefully opens the door to much more for them when they will figure out what they want to do for a career. And I know you you have two small children yourself. I mean, do they get understand what you do or are they ever interested?
0: Yeah, they're they're kind of young, but I still do try to impart upon them how fun the data center industry is. So like Carrie Goode, she's put it like a Polly Pocket book out that I got for my daughter. And it's actually probably more for my son's age. But I think the more we can do to talk about what we're doing and explain, because it's not like... Within the data center, there's so many different things you can do that's not necessarily engineering specific. And most people don't know that either. It's fascinating how much opportunity is really here that nobody knows about. And so to your point that you were saying earlier with the Nomad Futures Academy, it's going to be set up like we're going to be able to give it to teachers. And educational, and they can take snippets of things as part of their class curriculum. They don't have to create anything. They can just grab it from the Nomad Futures Academy. And so we have this easy button to push for education systems now that they don't currently have. So I think that there's so much opportunity and so much that can be done with the Nomad Futurist Academy. It's really like the sky's the limit. Where do we want to take it? And having young children, it's so important at this young age to get them understanding that there is more out there. And imagine a world in 10 years, 20 years where there's no nimbyism because people are saying, no, come, I want your tax revenue. Like, I want to have a cheaper taxes so my kids can go to a nicer school, right? There's just so much misperception out there that we can fix by hitting the younger generation because then they'll learn it's hey it's not actually what you're thinking by just looking at the big box right there's more to it and it supports everything we do right you you know that's the other you mentioned that too earlier it's just that's a whole other thing everybody just wants everything it's this is immediate (laughs) gratification right like oh somebody texted me oh i'm it back right away right but nobody really sits there and thinks about what happens in order to get that message there and all the stuff that goes into that they take it for granted. They don't realize that the society we live in now is would fail without our industry completely. The healthcare system, gone. All those health records, gone. Could you imagine what would happen? It's just interesting, the disconnect between the public perception of our industry and what we do to support their daily life. And it's just fascinating. And it's like, it's so problematic. But anyway, that really... <laughs> I think the New Head Futurist Academy can go far into helping solve some of those problems by education and, and changing the public perception once we get them to understand what it's actually about and the opportunities that abound. So.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And just even we kind of talked about tribal knowledge a little bit earlier is, yes, it's amazing that everyone has this cool story. Most of the people in the street has a cool story of like, oh, I didn't go to school for this or I was doing something completely different. Now I'm all about data centers. But imagine if kids actually said, oh, i Went to school for data centers, like how much more robust our workforce will be eventually and like with things like AI and just everything in general where the demand for data centers are just going to keep going up. That we were really going to be looking to that younger generation to lead us into a better future, not just better data centers, more efficient data centers, but just like a more sustainable world for everyone because we are the things that keep everything digital going. So it'll be very interesting to see. And hopefully, that, like you said, with the know my Futures Academy, that we will get there.
0: There's so much about the talent shortage that's a problem, right? The data center industry is young, relatively speaking to other industries. But the people who have been in it have been in it the whole time. Yet those people started when they were probably in their 30s. And so what you're seeing now is a huge amount of people. Like, I think it's, I can't remember what the number was. But it's, it's like significant. It's like 20 to 40% of people are going to be so retiring. Very-
1: Yeah. Over 40% of the workforce has had over 25 years of experience. Okay. So So, assuming they
0: started 30 within the next five to 10 years, because this is a young industry, right? So in the next five to 10 years, you're going to see so many people out of the industry and there's going to be a knowledge gap. So the Nomad Futures Academy provides a forum for those people to impart their knowledge to the future generations. And the ones that we've been talking to The ones that are happy to mentor, happy to give their knowledge back to the future. They're the ones that are retiring, obviously, but they're also the ones that have the most knowledge. And so talking to them and they're excited to be a part of this because they know that through their experience, how important lessons learned are. And saving generations from repeating mistakes is critical when it comes to efficiency and doing anything correctly, right? With the the best cost and the best speed, right? Efficiency, all that stuff. You don't want to sit there, reinvent the wheel and cause more problems. And so the Nomad Feature solves a lot of great problems, right? Because it not only grabs the education and the experience from some of these more senior people and passes it along to the younger generation. So we capture those lessons learned, but it also provides a way to educate the public. And so it's going to be amazing. Already is amazing, but it's going to be amazing. If anybody who's retiring
1: wants to give us any content, we'd be happy to have it. Absolutely. <laughs> Please, like, send it over. Like, well, we're happy to do all just. We just put the content. Like, you exactly. don't need to do anything else. Just give yeah. us the content. Yep. us content we will take care of the rest. Exactly. Yeah. We just, well, and we it's just a, don't honestly, want to say it. Yeah, It's not even a pitch. We need it. We need yeah. to have a platform where all of this can live. It can live in the cloud.
0: That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well,
1: it will be living in the cloud, right? right. Exactly. Unless sitting exactly. in your server exactly. in the closet, but yeah. Uh. Yeah, it's important. It's vital to the industry to have a platform that houses all this content. And the foundation is grateful that we have supporters like you and you share that passion, you share that belief of how important this is. And I think at the end of the day, that's what really sets the Nomad Futurist Foundation apart and really makes me myself very excited to go to work every day and say, okay, well, I'm trying to make a difference. And I'm working with such a great group of people that are also trying to make a difference to keep an already very fast paced, young industry going to take it to another level.
0: I agree. Just being able to bolster the industry that we're in and knowing there's such a shortfall in this particular space. It's an incredible opportunity for us to be able to give back, like you said, and also just to try to help with the diversity factor, too. I know we didn't really talk about it, but the more people we reach and across more countries, the more diverse perspectives we'll get. And it's been a proven fact that diversity at the executive level is what creates the most money, right? And I, not to say that money is the end all. and but when you're talking about success in an organization, in a corporation, having that diversity of thinking is critical. And right now, this industry is male-dominated. It's getting changed, right? But it's not just men that we need to get diverse men, women. It's different cultures, different perspectives, different backgrounds, different experiences. It's all of that. And when we have the Nomad Future Academy launch and it's free of charge and anybody who's got a computer can access the material we're opening up a wide range of opportunity for a number of different people underprivileged any kind right and this is like trade schools for instance we need laborers we need people right this is not to say that that's the direction they go in, but it, it provides an opportunity for them to get a career and, and to get income coming in where they might not have and might not have had that opportunity right so we, we're opening up the lives and the economic for people that might not have had that opportunity so
1: it, it's it's awesome. Yeah, I. that's a great word to describe it is. It is awesome. And like you said, people don't know what they don't know. And if we're able to give them visibility, knowledge is power, right? I know it sounds very cliche and people say that all the time, but it is very true. And if we're able to share that knowledge globally, then that's better for the world at the end of the day. <laughs> it is. Yeah, the more people we can get in, the better, right? Yes, but, but truly we need more people in this industry.
0: Yes, we really do. In all facets of it, right? The entire ecosystem. And as the AI boom's hitting, we're constrained in multiple ways. Power, people, land. Yes. What
1: we can do a small
0: part to try to help it. So our industry survives us, right?
1: That's the important goal, right? Exactly. I couldn't agree more. Well, Karen, thank you so much. I It's been such a pleasure getting to see your perspective of why the Academy is so important. And like I said, we're so excited that we're getting to do this together with you and with the committee and just with everyone else that wants to be involved. Um, because it's a group effort. Like, well, I think in this industry, what sets us apart is everyone's very willing to help. And now it's just a matter of, like, putting that into action. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much,
0: Karen. Um, Thanks for having me, Jody. It was good talking to you. This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back. Currencies will rebound. Businesses will go on. And we will all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. At Nomad Futurist, we're confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfutures.org, and thank you for listening and subscribing as well as your continued support.